Hello, church. My name is Eric, and we will now be reading today's passage from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. If you, um, yes. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every bread, by, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to, be, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is, this is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new or visiting for the first time, my name is Jay, and I'm part of the pastoral staff here, and um, I'll be sharing with you uh, our, our uh, word from God today uh, as we conclude our sermon series through the topic of worship. And I hope uh, that this sermon series has been impactful for you uh, as much as it has been impactful for me. Um, it, it's interesting because it really kind of brought me to a place where I had to confront and acknowledge uh, that my heart had become very stale to the majesty and, and want and wonder of, of who God is, uh, especially in my life. And, and, and the evidence of that was just seen in my lack of passion and desire for worship. And, uh, you know, in the very beginning, we kind of uh, acknowledged and mentioned the goal that we wanted to be able to uh, really stir and, uh, and reawaken our hearts to this idea that uh, we are called to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and what does that look like? And, and I believe that worship is an expression of that enjoyment of who God is for what he has done. And so the last couple of weeks, uh, we emphasized uh, just some practical, important things uh, in, in worship, and we were hope, you know, able to kind of practice that together. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, how important it is for us to rediscover our first love um, and, and just the acknowledgement that uh, through prayer, we can really show our dependence upon uh, who God is in our lives and, and to really kind of practice that love as we pray for one another. And uh, it was a very powerful and impactful time of prayer for uh, many of us. And... Um, it was probably like the most powerful worship that I experienced at church, you know? I mean, at our church, at our church. And, um, you know, last week we were able to uh, talk about what it means for us to, uh, in reverence, express joy uh, for who God is and what he has done for us. And, and we saw that one of the expressions of that joy is through singing. And so we, you know, we were able to sing and and, uh, you know, just express that, our praise and worship uh, through that time. And, and, and we'll have that another extended time of worship today. And um, I, I think it's one of the most important aspects of what worship is, is really the idea of what does it mean for the word of God uh, to be worshipped? And how does the word of God allow us to worship? And, how, and what is the, the power and majesty of the word of God that maybe for many of us, it has become somewhat stale, 
So today we're going to finish off our sermon series by talking about the topic that hopefully many of us can relate to, uh, and it's the topic uh, of the Word of God, right? And for many of us, especially if you grew up in church or if you've been a part of a church for a long time, the stories and the truths in the Bible are, are, are things that we almost kind of feel like, oh, it's something that I already know, right? It's something that I've already seen. You know, it's, it almost feels like, you know, I've already watched that show. I've already, I've already you know, read that book. So, you know, I, I kind of remember it. So, that, you know, what else do I need to do with it? Do I need to keep going back to it? And we also have this attitude um, where it's kind of like, I've, I've heard this before, right? And even in the passages that we read, as we talk about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, if you grew up in the church, you might be very familiar with that and might think, oh, this is something that I already know and this is something that I've already heard of. And yet, and I, and I think we fail to recognize that the word of God is, is not just, you know, some ink on, on pieces of dead wood. It is, it is active. It is living. It, it is the very representation and, and, and revelation of, of, of Jesus, the Son of God, to us. So today, we're going to see how we can recapture the worthiness of God's word, um, especially as we worship him through our response to his word. Okay, so we will see that when we treat the word of God for what it really is, not just some manuscript or not just some text, but that is actually God's revelation to us. And not only his revelation to us, but it is the personification and incarnation of God upon this earth that we will be able to respond in worship and, and awe and obedience to the words that he has communicated to us. So first, we're going to look at the worthiness of God's words. Then we're going to see the fulfillment of God's word. And then we're going to spend some time in extended worship as we have some scripture reading and a time of meditation and reflection upon the word communicated to us. So first, we're going to look at the worthiness of God's word. Uh, and, I, and I say this because I think oftentimes, um, or when I was in high school, uh, I had a classmate. He was, he was Muslim, and uh, he would bring his Quran uh, to school, and he would, he would treat it with, with such majesty uh, where he would put on gloves and, and make sure that, you know, like, everything was, like, and then if he saw my Bible and it had, like, you know, my presented by J-Song to J-Song, you know, and then, like, and then, like, all these highlights and stuff, he would have been, like, he would be, like, what the heck? Like, are you treating, like, the Word of God as if it is some kind of textbook? You know, for him, it was completely different. There was a level of, 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 of majesty and reverence in which he treated the word of God. And, and, and I think oftentimes we, we, we are so kind of used to the Bible. We are so used to uh, now the Bible is being on our phones. It's almost like another, just another app. We, we forget that these are God's word communicated to us. It, it, it is his revelation to us. It is, you know, the Bible describes the word of God as, as something that is sharper than a double-edged sword, something that is power, uh, you know, it is, it is majestic. And yet, um, we, we have an attitude where it's just kind of ho-hum. And, and, and so when we look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 4, we see the attitude of Jesus and how he worships and, and how he reflects and how he treats the word of God, and, and we see the absolute worthiness of it. Now, in this, in this passage, we see the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and um, for us to truly understand kind of the context of what's going on, we have to look at chapter three, okay? Because, I mean, turning a stone into bread, is that really sinful? Not really, right? Like, if I had the ability to turn stone into bread, I would do that all the time. Like, bread, 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 you know? Like, feed a bunch of people. It would be good, right? So what is the very nature of the temptation that Jesus is uh, facing right here? 
So in, at the end of chapter 3, as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, um, there's a voice that comes from the heavens, and it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That is how chapter 3 ends. Then we get to chapter 4, and what is the temptation that Satan begins with? If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. See, the announcement from God himself is that this, Jesus, is my son with whom I am well pleased. And now Satan comes to tempt Jesus with a manipulative tactic, and he says, if you are the son of God. So now here's the thing. Satan isn't dumb. Outside of God, Satan is probably the most intelligent, powerful being, right? Way, way more smarter than I am, right? And, and, and for him... He's not saying, Jesus, prove to me that you're the son of God. He's saying, no, I know you're the son of God. You know you're the son of God. Now, since you are the son of God, exert your authority for your own benefit. Show us your power. Do, do according to your will, since you are the son of God. Because what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father says, it says that it, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And in, as he was led by the Spirit, his, uh, the will of God the Father is for him to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, to pray and meditate and to worship. And here Satan, the devil comes and says, if you are the Son of God, exert your authority. He's not saying anything so flippant, really wrong. Jesus is the Son of God. He has the ability to turn stone into bread. So the very nature of this temptation is not for Jesus to just fill his belly with bread. But it's what Satan is really doing is saying, seize upon yourself. Take, take this opportunity to exert your will above the will of the Father. To do what you desire and what you are able to do because you are the Son of God. So, uh, to kind of... Uh, Paint this picture a little bit more clearly. Apostle Paul, he describes, he describes the nature of Christ and, and, and his humility in Philippians chapter, four, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. And I'll read this in the passage for us. It says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, even being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this passage is something that maybe you grew up in VBS memorizing or a passage that you've heard before, uh, but this idea of Apostle Paul is kind of uh, you know, laying out is that Jesus is, is equal to God. He, 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 he is God. And then he says, but he did not count his equality with God something to be grasped. Now, in our English language, we see the word grasped, and we think of it as a cognitive understanding, an intellectual understanding of something. Like, can you grasp this idea? So he's, but that's not what Apostle Paul is talking about. Apostle Paul is not saying that Jesus, he understood that he was equal to God. But he didn't, he didn't, you know, like, that's not what he's talking about. The word graph is the word harpagamos uh, in Greek, and is often used to describe robbery or, or seizing of something, taking advantage of something. 
using their authority and power to take advantage of the circumstance. So what Apostle Paul is saying about Jesus is that though he was equal to God, though he had the same authority, the same power, the same position, he didn't count that equality something to take advantage of, to seize it for his own opportunity. He didn't take that equality to make it, to, to use that authority for his own will. But instead, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Apostle Paul is saying this, saying, hey, Jesus is God. He has the power and authority to exert his own will, and he could have said, yo, you know what? I think I have a better idea. Instead of me, like, being crucified, how about if I just, like, show myself and be like, I'm God. Everyone believe in me. Doesn't that sound easier? He, he's saying he could have done that, but he, instead, he humbled himself to follow the will of the Father. That, that, this is the nature of the temptation that we are seeing here. So when Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into loaves of bread. And Jesus' response is man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. And I used to see, and I, and I would feel guilty and be like, but I love food. I love sustenance. Like, I love tasty things. And then it's like, but man does not live on bread alone. Be like, oh, sorry, God. But okay, let's be real. If you stopped eating and only read the Bible, guess what? You're going to die, okay? Jesus almost died, right? He almost, after 40 days, he almost died. So that's not what the Bible is talking about. It's not saying, oh, like, forget food and just only read the Bible. It, it, it's this idea that if you truly understand the worthiness of God's word, that instead of exerting your will to just fill your bellies, that you will follow everything here that is written in scripture. That even if the things in scripture is, is leading you towards hunger, if that is God's will, that you will follow it. And that you will understand that God will ultimately provide for you in the way that he desires. And this is what is going on. And the second temptation is, is similar. Again, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now again, as I was like reflecting upon this passage, because it's so familiar, I, you know, like temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Oh yeah, I remember it. You know, like you, you think about it, but it says that, you know, that in verse three, the tempter came um, and, it, you know, or, or sorry, in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Okay, so here's Jesus in the wilderness. And then it says the devil took him to the temple, to the very highest point of the temple. So like, what just happened? Did they teleport? Because they were just in the wilderness, right? They may, I'm, I'm pretty sure they might have teleported. Satan probably just took Jesus and like, woo, and then or maybe it was a vision. Maybe it was a vision where the devil showed Jesus the vision and they're on top of the temple and to the highest point, he said, hey, why don't you throw yourself down because the word of God says, if you throw yourself down, angels will protect you. Again, this is the very nature of, of the temptation of Satan. He, he's trying to manipulate Jesus into using his authority for his own gain. Because think about it. If you throw yourself from the temple... Okay, Jesus is in the wilderness right now. There's no, there's no witnesses. But if, 
he was on top of the temple in the most highest place and he threw himself down, there would be a bunch of people that would witness him, right? And then he would fall down. He's like, oh, and then angels come and they like slowly levitate him down. If I saw that, I'd be like, dude, that's, that's got to be the Messiah, right? And Jesus could have just come down and be like, I am the Messiah. Worship me. See these angels? They just protected me because I am the Son of God. And then think about how many followers he would have gotten, right? Think about how much easier it would have been for him to combat the Pharisees because the Pharisees would have been like, this man is a sinner. And they were like, no, no, no. I just saw this dude jump from the highest point of the temple and then angels came and saved him because he is the Son of God. So much more efficient. Instead of going around and recruiting fishermen and tax collector and, and you know, 12, you know, like just low-level people and then going around, walking around, trying to teach people about the coming of the kingdom of God, he could have just jumped off the temple. People would have all seen it. It would have been, you know, broadcast and, and people would have been like, this is the son of God. And that's what the devil's temptation was. Make it easier on yourself. Make it more efficient to do the will of God. Do it this way. And, God, and Jesus responds with the power of the word of God and says, no, this is not what God has will for me. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then lastly, again, here's the thing. Like Satan is, 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 is so much smarter, right? He's not coming here and saying like, oh, grab a pitchfork and like murder people and like let's, ah, let's be maniacal. You know, like that's, he, he's not. He's, he's, he twists truth just a little bit just enough for us to live contrary to the will of God while it seems like we're living according to the will of God. That is the real, the real weapon of Satan. And then when we read the last temptation, it might seem obvious to us, right? Because he says, you shall, you know, bow down and worship me. We obviously know that's not something we should do. But look at the temptation. He says, look, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all this can be yours. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Now, here's the thing. The will of God is that all the kingdoms of the world will belong to Jesus, that, that every knee and every, every tongue shall bow before Jesus. The way it would happen is that Jesus would have to suffer and die upon the cross. So now the devil's temptation is this. He's like, hey, I can give you what God has already promised you. And I can provide it in a way that is much more efficient and easier. He's telling you that you need to die on the cross? I'm telling you all you gotta do is bow down and worship me. I mean, think about for us as well, right? <clears throat> Oftentimes, it's not like we are, you know, purposely trying to live against the will of God. But instead of trying to seek to fulfill the will of God through his ways, we often try to do it through our ways. We often try to do it through our own manipulations or through the most easiest way or, or, or through the most efficient way. And not that saying, I'm not, that saying, uh, I'm not saying that being efficient is wrong. I'm saying if being efficient is contrary to the will of God, then it's wrong. There are many things where for Jesus, he understood that what Satan was trying to do was not trying to make him the antichrist, whereas he's like evil and like instead of feeding people, he's taking food away from people. He was trying to create an opportunity for Jesus to slowly go away from the will of God. 
in every aspect of our lives here in this world, though we might not be physically being tempted by Satan himself, whether it's our own nature, whether it's the things around us, there's so many things that are trying to distract us from the will of God, that are trying to get us to live contrary to the will of God, even trick us into thinking we're living according to the will of God, and yet we are just slightly off to the point that it is living in a lie. And what Jesus shows us in this passage of chapter 4 is that the majesty and the worthiness in which he worships the word of God is what ultimately leads him to live according to God's will, even in the most difficult and hard circumstance that he finds himself in. He, has, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. Think about the last time you were hungry. Okay, very couples. You know, like, I'll say 70% of your fights is because you're hungry or tired, right? And, and think about how easy it is for us to just react when we're hungry, right? And here's Jesus, hasn't eaten in 40 days, and yet because of the meditation and reflection and time that he has spent in the word, he is able to respond in a way that is God-honoring, in a way that is worshipful, in a way that is aligned with the will of God. Now, when we see just Jesus' attitude in which, how, in which he, uh, uh, you know, observes the word of God, I think that's very telling, and, and it kind of speaks to um, maybe the lack in our lives, right? We are more willing to run for advice towards humans or mentors, um, they could be Christian or non-Christian, more than we are to God, right? Whenever there's a question uh, what's the first thought in your mind? If, if I have uh, uh, like an issue or if I have a question, um, after ChatGPT, I'm asking like, you know, people around me, right? I might Google some, some answers. I, 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 you know, like if I have a, a, a credit card question about where, where I can get the most points, I'm texting, you know, a certain person at our church. Like, hey, like what credit card should I get? And like, how do I get more points? You know, if I have, if I have questions about, you know, like, like computers and stuff, I'm asking my wife. First, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things, right? you know, you have like, you know, law questions, you find a lawyer, you know, and we think in this way because we think of it as efficient. But here we have the very word of God, sharper than any double-edged sword, and yet this might be the last place we go. And that speaks to the fact that we don't see the word of God for what it is, the revelation of God's word to us. Now, one of the, also, uh, I think, the difficult things about the Word of God is the requirements that are found in it, right? Um, I, sometimes we don't read the Bible because all the requirements are so intimidating, and, and, and it seems like a hill that can never be uh, fully, you know, climbed, right? There's, there's things in Scripture, the laws and the statutes and, and all the prescriptions and commandments that we see in it, and, and we see it as something that is impossible for us to follow, so why even read it? Um, there was a time when uh, I used to ski, and this is, I don't ski anymore. So um, this, this probably wouldn't happen now, but in 1989, I was in third grade. Uh, my parents sent me and my brother, who's in sixth grade, they put us on a tour bus, just by us, you know, just us, no parents. Us and then our other two friends who are in fourth grade and sixth grade. They put us on a bus, they gave us money and said, hey, you're going to spend um, the weekend in Mammoth. 
So we're like, we had no idea. You know, all they told me was like, hey, you're going to get out of school early today. I was like, yes. It was Friday. And then they took me to a bus. And then I'm, I'm on a bus. I'm in Mammoth. Right? So my sixth grade brother, he has to uh, be in charge of, you know, buying the lift tickets, you know, buying food. Uh, I felt bad for the waiters because I realized we never tipped them. Um, but, you know, because we didn't know. We didn't know, right? We had, we, I, and, he, and he had to, you know, like get a ski lesson for me. So he got me one ski lesson for like one hour. And they taught me how to do the pizza, and they taught me a French fry. That was it, right? And I'm like this fat, like third grader. I'm like all like, 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 like all, you know, I, I don't know how to ski. And then we go skiing, and then me and my friend, um, you know, because my brother and him and his friend, they, they, they left us. Me and my friend, we, we're lost in, in the mountains of Mammoth. It's getting dark. We have no idea how to get back. And so we're just asking random people, like, hey, how do we get back to the, you know, the main lodge? And like, you got, there's only one way, and it's down this double black diamond, right? <laughs> And my friend, he's like, you know, he's like a skater. He's like cool and athletic. And I'm just like, you know, like, you know, he's like, come on, let's just go. And then, you know, he goes, he, he falls and stuff. Me, I'm just tumbling down this double black diamond. And then my skis fall off. And what do I have to do? I have to climb back up. I got to get the skis, you know. And then I'm just, I'm just tumbling down. I'm just sliding. It's, it's, it's difficult. And, and so I never want to ski again because it was so difficult. Because it was impossible for me. To, to accomplish going down this hill on my own. Now, when we read the Bible and see all the requirements of it, it's kind of like that. We are ill-equipped to fulfill the requirements and obligations in, this, in, in the word of God. For us to be able to live a life without sin, for us to be able to worship God alone and, and no, nothing else, for us to love others the way that God has loved us, for us to be people who are aligned with the will of God, it is impossible. And the moment you read it and the moment you understand the requirements and you try to meet those requirements on your own, you will never go back because you will feel that it is impossible. That's why the fulfillment of God's word by Jesus becoming flesh is so important to us. When we talk about the word of God, we're not only talking about the word of God as a, as a scripture, as the Bible that we read. When we talk about the word of God, and especially in the, in the aspect of worship, we're also talking about the word of God that has become flesh, Jesus himself. And we see in Jesus' life that he has fulfilled every requirement, every law, and every, every obligation that is written here in God's word. And we see it. And we see Jesus talking about it. In chapter 3, as Jesus was baptized, uh, this is his response, okay? First of all, he sees his cousin, John the Baptist, baptizing people. And he's coming to get baptized. And John the Baptist, he says what? You want me to baptize you? I should be baptized by you. And Jesus' response is, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus understood that he had to be baptized, even though he is without sin. He had to be baptized in order to fulfill all aspects of righteousness for us. Uh, later on in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, uh, Jesus comes to the synagogue. He reads a passage in Isaiah, and it just so happens uh, to be a prophetic passage. And then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is, is, is coming to fulfill every aspect of worship or every aspect of the word of God. Now, in, in 
Matthew chapter 26, uh, this is when Jesus is arrested. Um, I'm gonna read this passage for us. Matthew 26, verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Okay, and the, this is not the main point, but you know, in chapter four, he's, you know, Satan's like, hey, call upon your angels. And Jesus said, like, I'm not gonna do that. And then here he says, I can call upon angels if I wanted to, but I'm not. So put your sword away, Peter. This is after Peter cut off one, of, one dude's ear. Maybe it was Van Gogh. I don't know why I said that. That was a bad joke, okay? And it says, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, right? And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against, uh, out as against the robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, Jesus is very clear what he was saying to Peter. He's like, look, if I wanted to, I could have my angels here and they would protect me from being arrested. If I wanted to, I could have all the angels come and lift me up into the skies and I could announce to the entire people of Israel that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. If I wanted to, I can take the easy way out. But instead, I will be arrested. Instead, I will be beaten. Instead, I will be mocked. I will be whipped. I will be crucified. I will be killed so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. All the requirements, all the things that God desires of us is fulfilled through, the God, through, through Jesus, the word that has become flesh. Everything that is written here in scripture points to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in his perfect life, in his obedience, in his death, and in his resurrection. So when we say that we worship God and we worship the word, not only are we saying we worship, we're not saying we worship the Bible, okay? We're saying we're, we're worshiping the fulfillment of the Bible. The Bible points to the word that has become flesh in Jesus Christ. And the, uh, the, the psalmist in Psalm 119 uh, you know, he writes, oh, how I love your law. You know, I would read that passage, I, I don't know if I love the law. You know, because it's like, who, who loves the law, right? And then in Psalm 119, verse 40, it says, I lift my hands to your commands, which I love. I'm like, wait a second, he's saying it multiple times. What does he mean? What he means is he loves the fulfillment of the law that has come through Jesus Christ. The only way that we can receive salvation so when we come to him in his word, maybe personally in your own time, when we come to a, a, a gathering like this where the word is central to worship, can we honestly say we love your word? That we'll worship the word? That we will respond knowing that because Jesus has done all the requirements for us, we now respond in love and attitude and to obedience to the best of our ability. May it not be stale, but may it come alive in our hearts to seek to be aligned with the will of God in every possible way. Now we're gonna continue on in our service with a little uh, time of extended worship for us and um, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. 